Welcome to the next edition of Viking Voices. And today we have a special guest. I'm going to call him everybody's friend, Dr. Butch Kamina. Um, Butch, thanks for joining us today on Viking Voices. We're about to have a little bit of fun and get a lot to know about you, um, your family, your ties to Western that go way back in Bellingham. And uh, we're just glad to have you and talk to you today. Jeff, thank you. It's good to be here. That's a very kind introduction. Much appreciated. Well, tell us first a little bit about yourself. I think uh, seven-eighths of Whatcom County knows who you are, um, but um, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do here at Western, and uh, you kind of have a dual-pronged approach here on campus uh, as a professor and as a staff member in athletics. So give us a little uh, the cliff notes on, on Butch. So strangely enough, my background is not from Whatcom County. I was born in Southern California uh, in Englewood, just uh, a few blocks from where the, uh, the, the form went in when I was a little over a year old. Uh, so my dad, I believe my father was at the first event that uh, they had in the form, the first athletic event, I think it was a Kings game he was at. Um, and then we moved out to the Inland Empire and I spent a few years in Pomona and four years in middle school in uh, Rancho Cucamonga. So yes, there is a Cucamonga and uh, had a great time there. Still friends with a lot of people in contact. A lot of people I spent time with there who had some really neat stories of what's happened in their lives. And I've been able to reconnect with over the last few years. And then we came up here when I was 14. Um, my parents had split up. My mom remarried, remarried a Canadian who got his job back in Canada in New West. And so we settled in Bellingham. And that was uh, April of 1981. I tell people that it snowed the first full day we were here. <laughs> we got about an inch of it. Uh, and uh, we kind of like, what are we getting ourselves into? But since then, you know, really, except for three years that I lived in Calgary going to grad school in the early to mid-90s, which is a, a great experience, I've come up one side or the other of Seahome Hill pretty much every weekday since. Um, first at Seahome High School. And then starting in fall of 84 as a student here at Western. And uh, and so, yeah, and student and then did some other things and then came into athletics and uh, got a master's degree here and came into my current role in about 2001 doing academic advising and NCAA compliance. So that's been, that's my chief responsibility. But uh, I also teach one class a quarter in either political science or Canadian American studies. And for about four years, I actually would teach two a quarter. I was about 85% full-time as sessional faculty. So my uh, toes have been dipped in a lot of different ponds here at Western over the years. And, uh, and but it's, uh, it's a you know, regular part of my life, you know, and I've been, uh, Carver Gym, uh, I graduated from high school in Carver Gym. Uh, see home graduations were in the 80s and, and at other times have been in here. Uh, I met my wife in a volleyball class in Carver Gym in the fall of 1986. Um, you know, I've worked here and even when I was a student, I would wander into the athletic offices almost every day from my sophomore year on. Um, you know, I played noon ball, thousands upon thousands of games of noon ball. So um, this that building uh, that houses so much of what we do uh, is just a huge part of my life. I mean, for the last 35 years, mostly now. So, you, you know, you, you, Carver Gym is a special place for you. And you covered so many events here in so many different ways, whether it be for the Bellingham Herald or 
um, helping Paul Madison sports information for the Western, you know, for, for our, the website, how special is it for you to think about all the memories that you've had in this building and the friends that you've made and the relationships that have been built. And then to see it go from a little bit of a, a, a an older, I don't want to say rundown gym, but a, an older gym now into this renovated palace. How, how neat has it been just to, to see the transformation and to have all those memories across all that time? Yeah, that, it, it's funny because when I was a student initially in the mid 80s, it still felt semi-new. Not, you know, it, it, it'd been around 25 years. They, they'd put the upper bleachers in, I think maybe 12 or 13 years before I got here. And when you went to other schools in the conference and stuff like that, Carver still felt really, you know, it felt like it was still upper end. And you kind of grow with the age and it just sort of that slow sort of aging. And I don't want to say decay, but, you know, then you start to work and you understand, okay, well, here's the problems with the water and this and that. Um, and so you come in at a time when it was a big deal. And then you move out for two years. Uh, and you come back and you've got this thing that is just, it, it's still a special. You can still, the neat thing is you can, I can walk in the gym and close my eyes and it can still be 1985 in a way. And yet everything around it is so much more modern and so beautiful. And the, uh, the technology that we have now, you know, back from a basic scoreboard and a P and a iffy PA system and yellow lights uh, to um, what has developed over the years with the, the message boards and the video and the, and the things that we're able to do technologically with, with streaming uh, and everything else and the, the, the quality of the offices that we have and everything. It's, it's phenomenal. It is uh, just a, a wonderful facility to be able to come into. And, you know, we've missed that, uh, you know, over the COVID thing. I think it's, it's that except for my three years in Calgary, this is, you know, much as I've been away from the office from that building is anytime since 1985 or six. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. I'm sure um, one of the things you probably miss most is, uh, is just your interaction with the student athletes. Uh, I, I have an office right next to you and uh, there's often a line out there at the beginning of each quarter and the end of each quarter and a lot in between. Tell us kind of the cliff notes version of what your role is as the assistant athletic director for compliance and, and academics and, just a little bit of what you do to help our student athletes navigate um, the tricky parts of being a student athlete. So, yeah. So, so the compliance and academic advising, I think work together because one of the things you're doing in compliance is seeing to it that we're following all the NCA rules. And part of that is following that people are eligible academically. So you're monitoring that. And so that's one piece that people are coming in, they're asking for help. They're trying to sort out, how do I, uh, how do I declare a major? How do I stay eligible? What if I'm having a problem in a class? What do I do? And uh, some of the sports have me talk to recruits when I bring them to campus. And what I try to tell them is, is, hey, I've been a student here. I used to be able to tell them that I had some of the faculty that they have, but I don't. There might be two or three of those left, but uh, not many. Uh, but I say, hey, I've been here a long time. This is a big campus. There's lots of resources, um, but you don't always know where they are. I've been here long enough to know where they are. So if you got a problem, 
and you can't figure it out, come see me. If I can give you the answer, I will. If not, we're going to work to find the people that need that have those answers for you and try and get you where you need to go. And so you get to build these really you know neat relationships with people. And sometimes it's you know people who are struggling a little bit. Sometimes it's people who are doing really well but are ambitious and want to do something a little different. Um, and you get to watch the process of people grow. You know, for some of them who are in semi-regularly, you get to watch them grow over four or five years. And, uh, you know, it's come in as you know, somewhat hesitant um, freshmen, sometimes immature, sometimes freshmen come in really immature. And then you get to watch them leave um, uh, having taken a couple steps along the journey of their life. And that's really neat. That's one of the, one of the cool things about the job. You may have answered it, but I got to ask, what, what, what would you consider to be the most favorite part of your job as, you know, the academic and compliance person? So it's twofold. Um, number one, the relationships with, with the student athletes are amazing. And, uh, and that's, you can't replace that. It's the best part of it. And as you said, the, the fact that we don't get to see, see these uh, amazing people every day is, uh, is hard. That's been difficult. Uh, but I'll add that um, I've always been, I mean, from, yeah, me high to a grasshopper, uh, interested in athletics and, and, and especially in coaching. And I love the fact that we have these amazing coaches who I get to be watch up close. And occasionally I can go in and bend their ear about something. And, um, you know, that is, for me, that is just a huge thing to watch and it's, it's x's and o's and across their sports yeah but it's also like how do you work with somebody how do you think about somebody's psychology um you know, organization all of those things and i get to watch just some an amazing group of, of people uh, who do their jobs at a really high level and uh that for me is it, it's a it's a more subtle part of what i really enjoy but it's just as it's just as real so. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, I'm uh, as fate would have it, I'm almost exactly at my start of my sixth year here, and Time I wouldn't even qualify for rookie status in our department. <laughs> uh, coaches have been here, I think, 25 years is like a it's just a normal thing around here between you know coaches and administrators. But it really is neat to see that how long our coaches and a lot of administrators have been here, but also how successful they've been and how amazing they are at their jobs across the board. I mean, wins and losses are one thing and we do have a lot of wins, but the, the joy that they have in developing our student athletes is exactly kind of what you talked about there. And I think that's, that's for me has been the one thing that I've, I've seen out of all of you that have been here since, you know, the early eighties, um, which is going to kind of parlay into my next question is uh, there is someone very special. I know in your life that um, pretty much is Western athletics um, his name is Paul Madison. He was sports information director here in charge of communications for gosh near 50 years. And you worked very closely with him. He's now our historian and he's pouring his heart and soul into that role, just like he did as an SID for all those years. Um, tell us a little bit about your relationship with Paul and what his mentorship to, to you has meant. You know, basically you've known him since, since you stepped on this campus. Close. I, um, uh... I took a freshman 
I took a journalism news writing class my freshman year, spring of my freshman year. The guy that taught that was a man named Dick Beardsley, who was then the main columnist for the Bellingham Herald. So he recommended me to the sports department and started doing stuff for them my sophomore year. And that winter, toward the end of the season, I covered a game. And Jim Carberry, who was the Herald editor, said, yeah, when you go in, just find Paul Madison. said he's 38 going on 20, and he'll get you everything you need. And so I walked in, and I met Paul and watched the game, got the interviews and all that. And he, uh, this is 1986. And so at that point, there was one computer terminal in the athletic department. And they were hosting the district track meet that year, the NAI district track meet. They had to type in the, they were trying to put all this stuff into, do you know how much to work with a computer? Well, yeah, kind of, I guess, you know. And so that's where I started. I started by entering like all the last seven or eight years of records for the, uh, the track meet and getting to know Paul from that and then working the meet. Uh, and then the next year, uh, expanding that. Uh, and I tell people, I realized about 10 years into working with Paul, I started this to, to use this line. I said, Paul's been here since three weeks after I was born. And, you know, I'm 54 now and Paul's still here. Um, <laughs> so he is. Uh, and I believe that when Paul started here, I think Sam Carver who the gym was named after may have still been here. If he wasn't, Charles Lappenbush was still teaching in the PE department and Lappy went back to the thirties and replaced Sam Carver uh, as athletic director. So Paul's institutional memory of this place is astounding, but more than that, um, Paul has been an incredible friend. I mean, we were, we had, I was in his wedding and he was, in mine in a certain role. And um, when we came back from Calgary, we rented his house for a couple of years. Uh, he is one of the most generous people you will ever meet. And I tell the story that when SIDs would come up, Paul would just say, you know, you know, hotel, hey, there's an extra room at my house. You know, people he didn't even, he never even met face to face. He would be inviting, hey, come stay at the house. You don't have to worry about a hotel or anything. Um, and that is Paul. And, um, you know, he could be intense sometimes. And, you know, uh, he and I had moments where uh, the whole department knew what we disagreed about because <laughs> you could hear it from a long way away. Uh, but there was never never from any of those things was there any lingering animosity. We both, you know, knew that we wanted what was best uh, for the department and best for each other. And I just can't say enough about what amazing uh, person he is and what an amazing SID he was. Um, Paul found so many different ways to publicize Western. You know, we won an SP uh, and in the first SPs. And the reality was, is if you watch that, that show, there's three candidates and one of them is a Notre Dame running back and they bring out Joe Theismann to give the award. And we beat Notre Dame that night uh, with Chris Moore's uh, uh, incredible catch and uh, you know, things like that, getting us into sports illustrated and faces in the crowd and just the weird little things that we would do to generate publicity and um, the attention to detail that Paul had, uh, 
and you know it's uh and i know you know that too that he is uh, and it's just it's great that you're carrying on that legacy because uh those aren't easy shoes but uh you filled them well my friend so yeah well, he, paul's a hall of famer in uh just about every way and uh you know i I'm thinking that he's going to have to be a guest on Viking Voices soon, but we'll have to reserve like two hours. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think if we we could do like a, a history lesson by uh, by Western Athletics, and we can have a lot of fun with that. But uh, yeah, he's a, he's an amazing person, just a kind gentleman. I know we had Viking Night last night, and one of the first things he did was emailed me and texted Nicole about how awesome it was, and that's just the way he thinks. Um, he's he leads with his heart. So uh, absolutely yeah, good stuff on Paul, but. Uh, you brought up a name. You brought up Jim Carberry, which kind of goes into my next thing because I put out a tweet that you're going to be our next guest on this uh, on this podcast. And uh, Jim right away was liked it. And I'm like, you know, okay, the, the separation between you and people in Whatcom County does not go too far. We can play a Kevin Bacon game of who knows Butch. And, uh, <laughs> not, you know, I, I, I've sat in cul-de-sacs in Ridgemont and they said, oh, you know, Butch. I'm like, yeah, I know Butch. Um, <laughs> talk about raising your family in this community. You have a special bond with uh, – the town of Linden and Linden Christian, where your your both your sons graduated from, you you help out coaching their women's soccer team, um, you know. But not just in Linden and Bellingham, you're very active in the community. How wonderful has it been to raise your family in this community around Western, uh, around you know Linden Christian, and just around the people that uh, that call you friends? It is. It has been a a real honor and blessing to be able to uh, be connected in the in a variety of ways that I've been able to be connected over 30 years, you know, and it is, it's, uh, my wife used to laugh at me. My boys still laugh at me that you go to an event and um, they know that they're going to be the last people to leave because I'll find somebody to talk to after the game. And, uh, uh, it, and it's just, I, and I love that. That's it's, it's, it's the neat thing about being in a place for a long time and having a lot of different connections from knowing people from high school to um, knowing people from my time at the Herald, uh, part time there for seven or eight years working for Jim Carberry, um, part and then uh, my wife's teaching at Evergreen Christian for for so many years, and then when uh, Evergreen became part of the Linden Christian system in oh about two thousand five, I was part of the merger discussions, and out of that ended up on the Linden Christian School Board. So I did two terms of that for eight years and got to know a new set of people out in the county, the people I know at Western from being here for 30 years and playing noon ball. Um, and, then, uh, and then through both Rangers soccer that my boys both played and, you know, and, and rec soccer before that, which, and then because uh, Travis Cannell was involved in Rangers at that point when my oldest boy uh, made it. Uh, that got me into soccer coaching, and, uh, and I did that for a few years, and, and I volunteered at Linden Christian on both the boys and the girls' side. Uh, got to coach both my sons. Um, have been, you know, in state tournament runs with both sides of that, and and yeah, it's neat to just be able to uh, the environment here. It's it's kind of the right size that you get to know a lot of people without it being so small, and I. Uh, I feel privileged too, in the sense that, um, you know, sometimes there's a county city divide here. Uh, and you see it sometimes, you know, and there's different attitudes and people have preconceptions about one side or the other. And I'm really, uh, 
blessed to have a foot in both places that uh, my car wears out the guide in the Hannigan because I go back and forth so much. And um, to get then a better understanding of the full scope of everything in this county and um, to know people on, you know, in, in all corners of it is, uh, it's a lot of fun. And, and athletics is a big part, it's not all of, the, of, of, of how it was created that, but athletics creates a lot of those bridges, Jeff. And um, it's created a lot of them for me that I can walk into someplace and, and be pretty likely to know somebody because of basketball or soccer. At, and that could be club, it could be Western, it could be high schools, it could be almost anything. And and then the joy that you get just from, from being involved in those things too, getting to watch you know, my oldest son's team finished third in the state his junior year. Um, and well, I tell you that, it, you know, go to a lot of state tournaments and, uh, and, and we've been to a lot of things with Western. Um, when you're on the other side of that line, uh, it, um, it, it ramps up a, even, even another notch and then to have your kid on the field doing it uh, was even better. You, you know, you, um, something that we talked about before this that I wanted to bring up is it's, it's all been almost three years since your amazing wife, Christy, um, passed away. And part of that community support, something I was blown away by is the, the, the touch that you have on this community and what Christy had in the community was the outpouring of support during that time. And, um, you know, I remember you telling me about the Linden Christian soccer team, visiting her and making her blankets and just how touched were you by all of that support from all those little rivers you just mentioned between Rangers soccer and Evergreen and Linden and Western. It feels like it was just an amazing support through the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, so many things. And um, it was uh, the volleyball team that the Western volleyball team that actually brought blankets and, uh, and, and on a couple occasions and, and, the women's basketball team did some care packages and things. Um, people at Linden Christian did stuff. People brought meals, all sorts of different, you know, at, at all sorts of different times. Uh, the, what, the the soccer team at Linden Christian, the girls team brought a recliner um, when Christy was really struggling, um, you know, probably two or three months before she passed away. They showed up one night and uh, and that thing is, yeah, it's the most comfortable thing you've ever sat in in your life, man. That's you, you get that thing. You don't ever want. I don't ever want to get out of it, you know. And um, when my boys are home, I can't get into it because they're always in it, you know. So it's, um, but, um, yeah, the outpouring was from so many different corners of the county, and you know, even even a couple friends that I had from going to soccer games um, up in Vancouver came down. Uh, but most of it was people. Yeah, it was Western. It was LC. It was Evergreen. It was, and, and I have to be fair, I, a lot of those rivers were rivers she created. I mean, she was an amazing teacher. And uh, I just, you, you hear, I laugh. I say, obviously, people aren't going to tell the spouse that they didn't think your wife was a very good teacher. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, the stories you hear and the things that people didn't have to tell you um, that they tell you you know, tell you how amazing an impact she had. And uh, I mean, right down to her last couple of days, she spent her 
you know, she got her final sort of diagnosis that, hey, the end is near. She and they kind of were able to do some things that kind of got her back stable for a couple of days. And honestly, in hospice house, there must have been 75 people come through. And the number of them have said that she had something to say to them that hit them um, with basically her last words to them. And it wasn't the same thing every time. It's been different stuff. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm blown away by that. And the day of her memorial with so many people there, I'll, I'll just kind of two things that I would say. One, just the, the impact to see, and I think was probably six or 700 people at her memorial service. And, um, and we didn't really know how to do food. And so we had people bring stuff and people in both in Linden and Bellingham organizing. We had so much food that we ended up taking a whole large chunk of it to the Lighthouse Mission afterwards. Uh, because there just simply was too much for everybody to eat because, you know, the outpouring, which says something about Whatcom County. But the other thing I remember about that was it was a good day. I mean, it was a chance to honor her. It was a last chance to kind of do something. For me, it was the last chance to do something for it. And that so many people helped in so many different ways um, that, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of tears shed and you lose your wife. But on that day, there weren't very many for me because um, I just felt so uplifted by um, that chance to publicly honor her uh, in the way that, that that the community did, really, Jeff. I mean, it was, uh, can't, yeah, I can't, it, I start to run out of good words to, to say just what, uh, how thankful I am for that, you know, for the fact that as awful as it was, it probably couldn't have, that week around her passing, was awful but it probably couldn't have gone any better than it did very 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 special person i only got to know her for a few years but uh legacy's carried on and your two awesome sons and um and uh, the, you know the community knows exactly um what she meant to all of us so uh hard to transition from that but uh <laughs> i do want to i have a few more uh questions to ask you kind of about western and some real fun questions to ask at the end um but back to ww athletics like we've talked about it's uh it's a big part of your life um if you were to try to count how many games you think you've seen in Carver gym, whether it be in a writing capacity or working capacity, um, you know, specifically it's men's and women's basketball and volleyball. Um, but you, if you add in soccer, football, all the games, I mean, how many WW events do you think you've attended? <laughs> so it's about 30 years given three years in Calgary, I was gone. Um, and at times I was working just about everything. I think, and I did this with my boys the last night that of Derek's last soccer game figured it out that the total there with indoor and outdoors over a thousand. Um, and, and this is more, and I think the number that I've sort of played is, is probably somewhere just short of 2000 events. Um, you know, because it, it, in the early years too, especially with, basketball and football i am old enough now that um no internet um and early on not even fax machines <laughs> teletext i think maybe but no fax machines um so you traveled a lot you'd go make phone calls after games and do all those things so you know the first when i was a, a student assistant for paul and working for him part-time from about 86 to 90 uh 
I traveled on the road with basketball a lot and, and sometimes with football too. And so I wrecked up a ton of, ton of games in that. So, um, so probably close to 2000. That's amazing. Now home road, wherever, there's got to be a few of those events that really stick out in your mind as favorites. And I know that is tough to do, but do you have a couple that you just kind of replay in your mind, whether it be regional finals or traveling to the elite eight with the women's basketball team or the Duke game? Uh, what are some of those memorable highlight real moments for Butch? There are a bunch. <laughs> um, the, the Duke thing was unique that, uh, what an amazing experience to, you know, first of all, you win a national championship and I was not, I did not travel to that. Um, you know, I was back here watching it and going crazy. Uh, but, uh, but we went and we, you know, we played at UW, um, the night before we left, uh, we played pretty well there and then you fly back and we had about three days back there. Um, you know, we toured, we got, to practice on North Carolina, you know, Tony Dominguez had been, um, had worked a lot of North Carolina camps in the past. And uh, so we were able to, you know, go into their practice facility, uh, have practice and then go into the, the, the Dean Dome and shoot around a little bit. And I was able to take Derek back and Paul took his son, uh, Aaron back. So, and then Derek and I took a day that we had in, in, in between drove down and walked around at uh, Davidson College, which was a, a really neat experience, you know, down near Charlotte, uh, just the whole thing. And then the game day, and uh, I can still, when I watch a Duke game on television, I can still see exactly where I sat. Um, I know, you know, I know the exact spot, you know, in the, in the press row, because it is across from the camera, so I can see it every time and always get a charge out of uh, what a great experience it was to be there. Um, so that, that one was unique. Um, lots of postseason things. And the ones that stick out to me more, I think, are the ones where you're on the road with the team and uh, you're close to them. Uh, I went to the Elite Eight uh, with the men's team in 2001 in Bakersfield, a, a great, great environment there. Um, the Elite Eight in San Antonio with women's basketball. You know, and in both of those, we won and got to semis. Um, a regional final in Pomona, California, where I, Cal Poly Pomona, you know, it's it's five, six miles from my old house. And we go down there and play a, a great uh, Cal Poly Pomona team. This is probably in the late, late 90s, 99, somewhere in there. Um, you know, it, multiple national championships in the, in the, in Cal Poly Pomona's history. And they pressed you and they got all over you and they're very athletic. And Carmen Dolfo's team played the closest thing I've ever seen to a perfect game. They pressed in the first half. We broke the press and scored something like 20 fast break points in the first half. So at halftime, they backed off the press and we scored in our, in the half court, we scored in our first 13 possessions of the second half. And it was just some of the best execution against high-level competition I've ever seen. I'll never forget that. Um, women's soccer winning in overtime at Sonoma State uh, in a regional semi. Oh, I'm missing who scored the goal, but she scored 
overtime goals twice in postseason in her career, and she wasn't a big goal scorer. And I probably should have dug that out knowing I was going to mention this, but um, just a, a, a great, great game there. Um, and then two others that stand out, and, and they're older. Um, in the late 80s, in the old NAI days, the district final was two out of three. So back-to-back -back years, we played Central Washington five times, twice in the regular season, and then three-game district championships to get to the national tournament in Kansas City. So 10 games in two years. Every game was sold out. And if I have it right, the first year, the, the home team won every game. The second year, the road team won every game, and they beat us in overtime to go to the national tournament and got to the national semis maybe the national quarters, but still they made a good run. And um, the craziness of that was off the charts. We would come in to welcome in the jungle. We still had the old wooden bleachers. And so the, the, the place held close to 3000 people and, and it, we sold out the last game and, you know, it was like a three day gap between the game and we sold it out before game time. You know, there was nothing available. And it was just an absolute madhouse. One of the most fun experiences I've ever been a part of anywhere in sports. And the last one that I'll mention is in that, in that era, just maybe a couple of year or two after, um, men's soccer, uh, where the parking lot behind the Snape building is now, used to be our soccer field. And, and two events from that, one, just, the roar, when we made a run and we got to our only national tournament appearance in the NAIA in men's soccer, there were like a thousand people out there. And you're in that little bowl and there are people up in the ridge watching from their balconies. And the roar when there was a goal, you could hear it. People talked about hearing it at the other end of campus. It was so loud. But then we went to Simon Fraser the second year of that good run. And we played at Swan Guard, where they used to play their games. I mean, maybe they still don't think they do anymore, but for a long time they did. And we rarely went to road games in soccer, but it was close and two pretty good teams. So Paul Madison and I decided to go up, and we're up in the press box at Swan Guard Stadium, which is a little bigger than Civic. But And Simon Fraser gets a 4-1 lead at halftime. And they are whooping it up, and it's crazy. And we come back. And we get one early, and then we get another, and then we get one with about seven, eight minutes left. Peter Labarge, who had been a football player, an All-American punter, and came back and played two years of soccer after he did that. And Peter was right-footed, but he was really two-footed, and he hit a ball with his left foot from about 35 yards out. And the angle we had in the press box, as soon as he hit it, I said, that's going in. And it flew into the upper corner. And then we ended up winning in overtime, 5-4. So most of the things are those big events. This was just a regular season game. I will never forget how crazy that game was. Uh, one of the most fun things I've ever watched in just what happened on the field. You're dead to rights, you're down 4-1. Soccer teams don't come back from 4-1, and we came back and won 5-4, and the quality of the goals was just off the charts. You know, I still remember the last two vividly. So, 
That's pretty awesome. Now this next question is going to be hot, tough and you may not be able to do it, but <laughs> you got to have some favorites during your time at Western, some favorite student athletes. Um, and I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you have like a, a list of some of your favorite student athletes and you know, some of this can cross between, you know, competition and working with them in your office and on academics, but you have a couple that really stick out in your mind as, 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 as just all time Butch's favorites. I have a few and I'm going to, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I know that we're at Western, but I did spend three years at the university of Calgary uh, in grad school. And uh, I worked stat tables and other things. I, you know, the first, you know, I can still walk into the building there and there's a, uh, a trophy they give the, the best volunteer in the athletic department. And I was the first person to ever win that. So that's really neat. Um, it's named for the former president of the university who passed away just a, a few months after he handed me the first award. And um, we had a guy in there named Richard Bonney. And Rich was a guard on the basketball team. My three years in Calgary, he averaged 25, 32, and 34 points a game and was phenomenal and uh there is a small western connection to him adam leonard who is the uh, head of the rec center on campus here went to grad school with rich at idaho state and adam and i get start talking stories about rich and we just say and there's like this this weird little cult out here of people who saw him play i mean he had 62 points in a playoff game one time to get into the playoffs one night went down to lethbridge and he scored 45 he was just phenomenal played a little bit in Europe and blew out a knee was probably a little skinny for the NBA but Adam tells the story that Jalen Rose showed up in Pocatello one time and one of the pickup came and that Rich was the best player on the floor maybe Jalen's not going full speed but Rich was and and he said here's Jalen and a couple of his buddies and Rich is the most confident person in the world going come on we've got these guys they're not that good <laughs> And, and that's the way he played. He just, you know, you'd watch him in practice and you'd play games to three and Rich would be angry if he lost. And so, uh, so I have to, to take that aside for my three years, you know, to honor my three years in Calgary and mention Rich because, uh, I, like I said, people who, I run into people occasionally, people come down from Canada and people who saw him play, uh, Teresa Hansen, the athletic director at Simon Fraser and I have had these discussions. Uh, Rich was unique and uh, never seen anything quite like in the collegiate athletics. Awesome. But this is still my home. There's, there's so many people. It's easy to pick out one guy in Calgary for my three years. Now it's hard because now I'm going to irritate somebody. Let me start with Peter LaBarge. Um, All-American, NAI All-American punter in football, also was an amazing place kicker. Um, you know, kicked three or four field goals in a game, and I think a 48-yarder. Um, won a game against Western Oregon on the last second field goal when he'd been hit earlier in the game. And we weren't sure he was going to be able to go out and kick it. In fact, he was actually warming up with his off foot because he wasn't sure he could plant properly. And he went out and we got like a 50 yard pass to get him into position and he won a game. So Peter was great in football and we've talked about his soccer exploits. So, um, so he's one. Um, a couple of other ones that, that come by Mike Palm, uh, played uh, here for playing the national champion national championships and national semifinals as a sophomore, six uh, ten, uh, Swedish nationality. Although he you know he grew up here and went you know, high school in Puyallup. But Mike 
was an amazing player to watch because his senior year, he was in the top 30 in Division II in block shots and free throw percentage. So that tells you what a unique combination of a player he was. Um, went to Sweden and played for 15 years. I still have you know, a picture in my office of him, uh, his national team jersey, and him playing against Yao Ming in a two-nut game before the 2004 Olympics. But Mike was neat because he's one of those people who you watch grow. He was, uh, when Mike came to Western, he wouldn't say a word to anybody. <laughs> you know, you get hello out of Mike, and that was really a lot. Um, and you watch him grow as a person, and, uh, you know, by the time he graduated, and, and then the things he went on and has done in Sweden, and still living over there and teaching school over there now, and, uh, and the final thing about Mike is he bridged two incredible teams. He played on a team that made the national semifinals, and then when he was a senior, the freshman class was um, Grant Dykstra and Ryan Diggs and Kyle Jackson, and one of the, just the most absolute, maybe the most fun team I ever got to watch at Western. And so Mike was kind of the lead in and the, and the transition between those two groups. And so a lot of good memories of, of, of watching Mike and talking to Mike and still in occasional contact with him. Um, two more. Uh, one that's a little bit off the radar, maybe. Um, a women's soccer player named Brina Sitch. And Brina played outside back, and uh, it, this goes back to talking about coaches. And I've you know been able to coach the last ten years. Watching Brina taught me about um, how you can use outside backs to attack because Travis has done that with his teams a lot. But Brina was the first one I really noticed, and she was just an amazing player. You don't think a right back could dominate a game. Brina dominated games sometimes from right back. And then just her dedication to the game. She had a lot of injuries in her time. And it, you know, she worked so hard just to get on the field. And that game at Sonoma was a game where, hey, they had her. And, you know, when she was on the field, we were amazing. And she made some plays in that game that turned the game around. And uh, just the dedication to fight through injuries and fight through everything else. And then just I learned so much from watching her. And it sort of shaped how I still think about soccer today um you know many years on uh and then the last one is really two people so i have to say this name um in uh, rapid succession and uh jeff you might be able to guess this brett bozel abby phelps um they are two most amazing people i've ever met regardless of age anything else incredible volleyball players um you know and, and what we did when they were here uh demonstrates that and they were all americans and uh you know and all of that but they were more amazing people and uh you know one of the I, one of the hardest things to ever do is to sit in the press conference after that national championship game a couple of years ago and uh, you couldn't help but tear up and yet at the same time you couldn't help but be so proud of them in the way that um, they handled that and and there we've had many incredible uh, representatives of western athletics over the years um, and there are some I want to be fair that that are there that are probably their equals but um, 
they represent the best in everything that we do. And uh, I can't say enough about the impact they had on, on our family when Christy was ill, when she passed away and after, and, um, and the impact that they're going to have on their communities for years to come. They are just, uh, yeah, like I say, they represent, you know, they're not the only ones. So I want to be fair about that. But they represent the best of everything we wanted Western athletics to be. Yep, they are special, special individuals. Grew up uh, kind of in the same area over uh, Chelan and Brewster, and played club volleyball growing up. And uh, yeah, you know, there's some amazing stories that they tell about. They went, you know, they Brewster and Chelan are up there, kind of north central, and they would, I think, if I understand right, they would drive to Tribe Cities for volleyball practice yep. because it was the only club that would let them play other sports, and they were at small schools and. You know, when uh, Brett came on her recruiting visit, uh, met her, and uh, we got it. You know, Brewster had played Lyndon Christian in the state tournament the year before. <laughs> I, I'm surprised that she spoke to me after that, you know. So. Yeah, two very, very special people. And uh, like you said, it's just a, a number of names that I'm sure are part of a long, long, long list of uh, oh, student yeah. athletes that you could, uh, that, that, that have impacted, you've impacted and they've impacted you. So good I, stuff there. Um, I could have gone all day, you know, but you put me on the spot in the landmines. And so I'm sure I'm going to get some abuse for not mentioning other people, but uh, uh, those, those are some pretty good ones. Um, I got to ask you a little bit of one of the unique things uh, about Western athletics is we, uh, we've had some great media coverage over the years um, between the Bellingham Herald and KPUG um lately uh not the same landscape but we won't get into that but <laughs> talk about about your your working relationship and your friendship uh two names doug lang and mark scolden you were uh always with them helping them kind of be their their third uh wing the stats person the uh, extra analyst on so many radio broadcasts and uh i know doug and mark hosted a radio show for so many years in whatcom county um Talk about your friendship with those two and, uh, and what those, what those moments were like working those big games in Carver gym. Oh, it was fun. Um, and we were, we're alums of the same era. I mean, those guys were there for those big, you know, those big crowds and, uh, Doug was in the crowd and I think Mark probably was too. And, and so we shared an understanding of, of Western athletics over, you know, a 30 year period. And, you're just on the same page with somebody. And so you can say something and they immediately get it. And, you know, and I would just, I'd be scribbling them notes and, and all sorts of things. And, and most of it was just stats and other things and little things that, but every once in a while you'd throw something in and, you know, it was, it was the, the, the most fun thing was to get something that Doug would just crack up and have to kind of pull the microphone away for half second because I, I'd caught him, but you know, he could use it too. And, and, uh, and then getting to do uh, color with him for for a year or two, and 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 being able to, to play on that that you know we knew that history so well, and we could share that and and say all right, you know, here's all the stuff that we know. How do how do you bring that? And then try to bring that across to, to an audience that might not have known about um, you know Tim Dickerson or Celeste Hill or uh, you know Grant Dykstra. And, and get to share some of, you know, reference some of those things when things happen within a given game. So, no, it, it, they're both great guys and just had an absolute blast with them. <laughs> the laughs 
never stopped. And uh, it, I, I miss having those guys around. I miss that the, that the landscape has changed in a way that, that we don't get to see them. Although I, have to, I really enjoyed uh, an opportunity to work with Sean Wally last year too. And, uh, you know, for, for working together for the first time, it clicked really, really, really fast. Yeah, I know Doug is, uh, you know, a voice of the Vikings uh, in more ways than one. Uh, hopefully we can get him around again soon. But I know that the friendship that you have between those three is pretty special. And uh, I'm sure there's lots of stories that could be told. Indeed. Well, you're yeah, a we- huge, 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 huge European soccer fan. I've learned a lot from you. I've learned uh, lingo. I've learned some uh, technique stuff. I've learned to follow the Premier League a little bit. Um you're wearing a jersey right now of your favorite team, it looks like. But uh, tell us about your passion, um, what team you follow. I think that's pretty obvious to everyone that knows <laughs> you. But, uh, and, you know, you you've also have a flair for kind of some of the oddities. I think you follow some Australian leagues football and the CFL. And, but just tell us about your passion for European soccer and how that all came about. Yeah, it, and, and it's really focused on England. And I like the other stuff. And champ, yeah, I, I would – but the champions league is fine, but I'd rather watch, you know, something from the second or third tier in England than watch the champions league. I just, I, I love English soccer. I love the atmosphere around it. I love the way it's played. And, you know, it always kind of had a passing interest in it. And then um, the big kicker was the introduction of digital cable. <laughs> so this takes us back to 1999 and, you know, you get the expanded cable and then you get this thing called Fox Sports World. And every Saturday morning, you'd get a game uh, from the Premier League. And and so that I really got hooked on it. And you could watch Sky Sports News in the afternoons and all of that. And so you start to follow some of the storylines and everything. And in the, that year, there was a team that had just been promoted the year before. Uh, called Sunderland and up in the northeast of England in an industrial town of about 200,000 people and they'd been promoted and they finished seventh that year and finished seventh the next year and um, by the middle of that second season I had become really hooked on Sunderland you know and started listening to the you know the radio broadcast online because a lot of the games weren't on television. you know you couldn't necessarily get all the games streaming as you often can now and I just became hooked. And then I got on some of the message boards and stuff and I got to know people and probably the tipping point. Then they signed Claudio Reyna, who was the captain of the U S team the year after that. Um, And then uh, it got a little scary because the year after that, they got relegated. And now what do you do? Uh, It's not a Premier league team anymore. You've only really followed this team for about two and a half years. What are you going to do? And I'm stubborn, and I've never been somebody who wants to front run for big teams anyway. I'm sort of an underdog kind of person to begin with, and so I stuck with it. And um, I've seen them. We've seen them on two or three preseason tours. I, uh, 2005 or so, or two, yeah, 2004 maybe, uh, flew to Charleston, South Carolina, to watch a preseason game. Two weeks after, two weeks after having my gallbladder out with an eight-year-old in, in tow, um, and one of the best things I've ever done. I just met a lot of people, and then they did a tour of the Northwest a few years after that, and then they were in Sacramento a couple of years ago. Um, it is uh, I've I've met so many people, and, and Sunderland is this 
incredible community. It's it's fallen on hard economic times in the last 25 years, but the people are are amazing, and the stadium and the passion they have for that club is uh, phenomenal. And uh, so we went. We've been twice. Um, we went in the end of 2007, you know, and really thought, uh, you know, it's probably the only time we'd ever get to go and had some connections from some of the people we'd met on various message boards and stuff, but, you know, saw them, saw them win. And, uh, in fact, there was a highlight package I saw the other day and one of the goals that the first goal scored right in front of us, uh, was on it. And you kind of, Oh man, I was there. Uh, and then went back, um, the boys and I went back at the end of 2018, 2019. And we saw three games. We saw, we actually landed in London on Boxing Day and went to Craven College and watched Fulham, which is a great experience. They have a, a neutral section behind one of the goals. So even if you're not really a fan, you can sit there. And there were multiple Americans in that section. And Craven College is this old, old stadium from the 20s and you can see some of the wooden bleachers still there and the latticing and everything and then went up north saw Sunderland play in Sunderland a friend put us in his uh, corporate box uh, we got to meet we got on the field before the game we saw the locker rooms oh just uh, everything um, got to meet one of the, the American player Lyndon Gooch who's from California and then went away to Blackpool and saw Sunderland play on New Year's Day 8,000 away fans, um, loud, crazy. What, what an incredible experience it was to be a part of that. And the best part was is that over, over 15 years of, you know, modern technology, Facebook and all that, we saw people we knew. We were in, in England 10 days. And I think we saw various people that we knew on eight of them. Um we stayed in the friends in the Midlands for a night, you know, an old Sunderland fan who you know, lives further South. Now the guys in the corporate box, we had a friend who took us to an ice hockey game, the second division of English ice hockey, uh, in this old barn of an arena that held about 1500 people. It was crazy. What a, what a day that was. You know, we ran into somebody in Blackpool that we knew, um, uh, that I'd met when they came and he came over to watch the games in Northwest and in, in Vancouver and Seattle and Portland and, he and his wife ended up sitting like four rows away from us at Blackpool. And so we went to a karaoke bar with them afterwards. And uh, the English, uh, let's just say that they're professionals at the bar scene in a way that I am not ever even going to try. Okay. It's, it's another world, the, the relationship with the English to alcohol over there. And I don't really want to fully experience that, <laughs> but how, how cool has it been to see, um, you know, Sunderland till I die as a Netflix, I believe show i don't know i think they've done two seasons yep. um being the fan that you are and how much you poured into it, how cool has it been to see that and follow it and and you know you've seen behind the scenes but to see it play out on a on a tv show like that it's oh it's phenomenal and it it spreads the um the word a little bit so that more people get to know about it and i think they do get that sense of you know the priest in the church praying for sunderland on the first day of the season um seeing the north sea oh God, just you know every day that we were there this time we walked 20 minutes from our hotel by the stadium over over to just walk on the beach and out in the pier and 
the other thing about it was you knew the result. <laughs> you knew the end result. You knew in the first year they're going to get relegated from the championship. You knew in the second year they're going to fall short. But yet you live all the emotions all over again. Um, everything that happened along the way, um, you just relived all the emotions and the, the good and the bad. Um, yeah, and Sunderland until I die. Yes, yes, did. Yeah, I'm Sunderland until I die. I'm, I know I am. I'm sure I am. I'm Sunderland until I die. And I've passed this sad disease on to my children. Um, <laughs> you know, and they are the same way. And uh, and you just, you. but it's, I wouldn't trade. Yeah, there's not been success on the field, but uh, I've gotten so much from my relationship to that club. Uh, you know, first time we went over, uh, the guy, one of the guys that helped us get tickets, got us into the program and we got welcomed over, you know, 42,000 people. And at halftime, we get welcomed in the stadium. I mean, uh, you know, and this guy standing behind us looks at us and he kind of points and, uh, you know, and I was like, so just uh, phenomenal. And then the other stuff you asked about, yeah, I love the CFL. I've seen probably, uh, I don't know. I've probably been to, to, 50 or 60 CFL games my three years in Calgary and really four or five summers because of you know kind of the way we were there and then going back in their year I got to watch Doug Flutie and Jeff Garcia play quarterback and I got to see Flutie in BC um, Doug Flutie in the CFL was a treat because all that extra space and the improvisation it was perfect for him uh, he was just, he took your breath away. I think they lost one regular season home game in the four years I was there full time. Uh, they lost a couple playoff games at home, but, uh, and then the Australian rules thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I watched the first night that they showed it on ESPN in 1981. It was right after we'd moved to Bellingham and got cable for the first time. And probably two weeks after they showed it. And, I love that game, and I stayed up late last night to watch one of the playoff games or the finals, as they call it. Um, and you know, the Essendon Bombers are my team. I have uh, thickened them. They've had some great years, and lately, not so great years. Uh, and uh, one of the boys, Derek, my younger boy, has abandoned them and now supports <laughs> the, the Fremantle Dockers, who are over in Western Australia. And so, uh, but we both sort of support each other. So we'll both watch those games every week. And uh, so we, we, when that happened, we bought the package so I can get every game. And uh, it's been neat during the COVID thing because they played a little bit more, although there was a break in their schedule. Um, I'm such an addict for competition, Jeff. And that's part of the reason I love the job I do and why I do the things I do. Um, our family is just all about that. We love competition. And to have something to watch when there was nothing else going on and, have a bit of an attachment was uh, was really really cool. Well, it's no surprise we're going to get into some fun questions next. But the passion that you pour into your job and your teams and your coaching uh, and being a dad um, it's pretty amazing. Uh, I mean, just going over the last hour has been pretty special. But now I'm going to ask you some some uh, some semi hard hitting questions, kind of a, <laughs> a lightning round uh, type thing. Uh, okay. 
But you, you mentioned uh, some English teams. You, do you have a favorite American sports team? And I guess I'm going to expand this. I can go North America uh, okay. for you. That helps. Uh, it's two. Uh, the Whitecaps, I've had season tickets off and on, um, even back through USL days. So that's one. Um, and then the other one, and this tells you, Sunderland, the Whitecaps, uh, my other one is the San Diego Padres, uh, who have uh, uh, 74. My grandparents live in North San Diego County, and that's how I got hooked when I was seven. And that's really my longest standing sporting allegiance. It's not as, as high, I'll admit it's not as hardcore as maybe the Sunderland stuff and, and some other things, but uh, boy, when they do well, I, I feel good. And this was a fun season in spite of, you know, getting knocked out and not having any pitching left by the end of the year. Uh, they made up for 20 years of offensive ineptitude in one sixty game season. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. They were there. Uh, Slam Diego Padres are pretty fun to watch. Um, you're a big noon ball player. Uh, back when they played in Carver and, and the rec center, who's your competitor and nemesis out there in noon ball? Oh, there's been so many. Oh, that's really uh, um. But I'll say one because he's uh, he's been a long-term one, and I was never quick enough to stay in front of him. And that's Chris Stark. Uh, he's a nephew, Dick Stark, who worked at KPUG. Was a good, really good high school athlete, and we've played against each other for what pretty close to twenty-five years now. And uh, he, I can't, I still can't stay in front of him. He's too quick for me. Just, and there's so many great people to play with out there. That is, is, is joy. And it's another one of those connections. You, you talked about the Memorial Ceremony. A lot of those people were there that day. And Christy, even when in earlier days, had even come out a couple of times and played uh, back along. So he, he would be the number one one. Um, but uh, well, just a great group of people to get to hang around. So, uh, you got to give us a little scouting report on your noon ball game. Okay. What do you, what do you got? What is uh what does Butch bring to the, the noon ball? So five, nine, not quick enough, not strong enough, but got a little court vision. I can, I, I can throw the occasional dime <laughs> and I can shoot it. It's not consistent, but most of the time, I can shoot it. I wish the three-point line had been around in high school because maybe I'd have had a chance. And I, I do have moments. I'm, I'm, I'm not a good basketball player, let's be clear, but I'm just good enough that I've been able to have, experience that moment where you're the hottest person in the gym and everything is going in. And uh, that is a euphoria like no other <laughs> is. When everybody sees that you're hitting, you know, at just a rapid rate and uh, you cling on to those moments. That's, that's fun. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite all-time athlete uh, that you watched as a kid? Um, the one in early childhood uh, was Don Boosie. Don Boosie played in the ABA and NBA, um, played for a number of teams, Was led the NBA in assists and steals the first year after the merger. Uh, and I really became a fan. Was, the only piece of fan mail I've ever written to somebody was to Don Boosie in eighth grade, and I got this little – uh, thing back, a little five-by-seven uh, card on the back was, you know, a picture of him being guarded by Dave Twardzik, who used to have the hair by Weed Eater when he played by the with the Trailblazers and uh, signed to Butch Best Wishes Don Boosie. And the way he signed my name, I copied as my signature, basically. So I still signed Butch basically the way that he did it on the card. The other one 
um, is one of a little more renown, and that would be Tony Gwynn. Uh, as a Padre fan, I, I just loved watching him play. Uh, such an artistic hitter at the plate, such a beautiful thing. Um, I'd still rather watch a guy hitting 370 than watch a guy hit for power. I understand the analytics, but watching somebody who could just put the ball in play, any place he wanted to put it, regardless of where the ball was on the plate, um, baseball isn't a, as big a sport for me as other things, but oh my goodness. And then who he was off the field. And, you know, for me, the signature moment of Tony Gwynn's career is that all-star game with Ted Williams, um, where he took him around and just, you know, was like um, almost a caregiver on the field for him. And I'll never forget that. That uh, it, 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 it was a measure of who the man was. And seeing the uh, statue at Petco a couple years ago is uh, pretty emotional. Pretty awesome. Yeah, he, uh, pound for pound, greatest hitter of all time, man. He could, he could, you oh. know, stats out there where he didn't strike out, you know, but couple times in a season. It's uh, it's pretty amazing what he could do on the baseball. Loved watching those guys. I loved watching Rod Carew hit. I loved watching Ichiro hit. And those guys just it was a, it was a piece of artistry that uh, is pretty unique. Yes, it was. You got a favorite movie? Blazing Saddles. All right. I love uh, it. Yeah. That rolled right off. You knew right away. Yeah, no, that one uh, yeah, that saw when I was 11, which is probably younger than I should have seen it, but uh, it caused some consternation between my mom and dad. <laughs> but yeah, my brother and I can still we can still recite most of the movies. So outstanding. Uh, best book you've read lately? Hmm. Probably one that I read. I've read some others, but uh, I just finished reading the George Carl biography. Autobiography was kind of interesting, but uh, Alienated America. Um, another political science guy that I am. Book by a guy named Tim Carney. They went to a lot of small towns in America, tried to figure out, you know, especially ones that are in economic decline and tried to figure out what's making people tick, what's bothering them, tried to understand the phenomenon of, of Trump voters in these towns. And, and then also um, tried to figure out in small towns that are still working what made them tick and, 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 and what, uh, what does work and how do you overcome some of these problems. And so... Uh, yeah, no, I read it about a year ago and uh, really enjoyed it. Awesome. TV show you binged on lately? I am not a true binger. I can't, I, I don't watch six and seven episodes in a row. Um, but um, on network television, uh, This Is Us is a really good one. And on other stuff, um, The Crown, really good. Um, and then uh, <laughs> Dairy Girls, which probably I'm probably not the target audience for, but about these girls in Northern Ireland at a Catholic school, and it's and it's hilarious. And I, I've watched it, and my boys think I'm nuts, but a couple people in my classes have said yes, and so I. I feel somewhat justified. That's another one. Something until I die when it comes out, obviously. And then one from a few years ago that I'll mention that was really cool, um, if you can find it somewhere, was called Borgen. And it's in Danish and it's um, with subtitles, but it's about uh, politicians and, and spin doctors. In, and it's, it's about a three-year 
run, there's probably about 30, 35 episodes. Uh, I watched a few years ago, and my youngest, Derek, watched it. The, Trevor was not was, was off in Boise State by then. Uh, fascinating stuff. Really one of the, some of the best television, uh, kind of in a weird corner of the world, but really good. iPhone or Android? Android. Always been? Uh, yeah, but you have to remember that I was still on a flip phone as recently as a little over three years ago. So, <laughs> I love it. Uh, you mentioned uh, wearing out uh, the, the guide in Hannigan, uh, but you're known to drive and drive in stretches without getting yourself in trouble. Longest stretch of stretch you've driven consecutively? Probably about 16, 17 hours. Um, I like to drive in the summer because I don't really like to drive at night. I can do it. It's fine. But I feel like I'm missing something. So, um, so I'm not one to like try and drive 36 hours straight, but I have no qualms about the thing for me is, is an eight or 10 hour drive. I, I do without batting an eye and some people oh, that's so long. And then to me, it's like a day at work. Um, and so I went back and forth to Calgary all the time. And, you know, my first year there, Christy stayed behind. I taught school here. So there was real incentive to get back and forth. And that was about 10 hours. Trevor was in Boise. That was about eight and a half. And, you know, if I had a three-day weekend, I could do that. I did a three-day weekend and, and drove the 11 hours to Bozeman to see Derek. Um, so, and, you know, this summer I did 15 hours to get down to Merced in California to help Trevor move out of his apartment. Um, that's probably... 15, 16 is about as much as I, I really want to do. Um, you know, if I was tag team with somebody, maybe I could, you know, do a little more. But but it's more that I just won't bat an eye. Eight, eight, eight or ten hour drive is like whatever. You know, I don't, I don't think twice about that. That's awesome. Uh, what hobby have you taken up lately? Any any hobbies during uh, last well, few years? I, not that I've really taken it up, but more that I've probably done more of it is, is play golf. I and mean, I played some through my earlier years, and then I – got so bad that I walked away from it for about 10 and then I would play you know once or twice a year my father would be in town want to play and then when Derek was graduating from high school he wanted a set of clubs for graduation so we did that I got him lessons with Luke Bennett uh, to get him started because you don't learn from me <laughs> that would be really bad and so I've played uh, um, a lot more in the last three years and uh, during the COVID shut down. You know, Derek stayed in Montana, but Trevor was home and there was not much else to do. So we played uh, a fair bit of golf and had uh, had a good time doing it. So that's been, that's probably the thing that I've picked up and done more, probably not really a new hobby, but one that I've focused on more lately. The perfect segue to the last question here. We've got a favorite golf course. I know you frequent one up uh, up near Linden, but uh, do you have a favorite track that you've played lately? I play a lot at Raspberry Ridge because it's um, relatively inexpensive while still in good shape, and it um, matches the lack of length that I have in my drives. So, um, but and there's one from my distant past. Uh, my dad lived in Southern California um, until the late 90s, and so I'd go down there at the end of my high school years and and, and and I, when I went down after graduation, I spent two weeks down there. It's the only time in my life before this I played a lot. I played like six or seven times in two weeks. But there was a course down there. It's gone now, as, as many of the courses in Southern California are, sadly. 
It was called El Ravino. And it was out like in the Inland Empire somewhere, Colton or Rialto. The first hole was a 660-yard par six, believe it or not. Because at that time, you know, this is the late 80s, the mid-80s, people didn't hit the ball 300 yards off the tee. And so you needed three shots to get there. And uh, so we play there. And then 18, you came in at 18 and you had to get a very large green, but you had to get over a fairly sizable pond that was right in front of it and uh, with the clubhouse right behind. And so that I've got, I don't remember all of that course, but I've got really good memories of, uh, of that place and its uniqueness. Uh, at the time I didn't play a lot, it still sticks out. So that's awesome. Well, Butch, I can't thank you enough for joining us. I think we touched on just about everything we possibly could have <laughs> a little bit more. And uh, I know that there's going to be a lot of people that enjoy hearing from you. And uh, you know, maybe our numbers will go up with all your connections in the county. So that'll be good, too. But, uh, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing so much about your family, about uh, your connections to Western and Whatcom County. And, uh, yeah, it was just such a good time. Thanks for joining us on Viking. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for inviting me on. And these, this has been a great series. And seen some really neat interviews along the way already. So I recommend to people, if you're seeing the end of this and you haven't watched some of the other ones, definitely go back and have a look because they're, they're really special. Thank you for having me. All right. You have a good one and uh, go Vikings. Go Vikes.